Hey, and welcome to the QALead.com. Today, I'm joined by a fellow speaker, Lavina. She's a senior consultant, and she's just started doing data science testing. So it's going to be a really exciting journey from business intelligence through to machine learning and AI. In the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. A little bit about myself. So um, I have done a computer science degree, uh, graduated back in 2012. That feels like very far away now. <laughs> but um I fell into testing. So it was that um, when you're in your final year, you've got that urge to apply like to thousand graduate jobs, but you don't really know what the job really does or how you how you feel on that job. And it was that motivation. Everyone's doing it. So I should do it, too. And then applying to so many jobs and then you get a graduate role, you're excited about it. And then the first thing you come to know is, oh, we've got a project in testing. And me thinking to myself, testing, the only thing I knew was black box and white box. We never actually did anything at university about it. So when I got on the job, it was not a graduate role. They find, find, at the last moment, they decided to cancel graduate uh, program and they said it's just going to be learn on the job now. So I was like, wow, <laughs> I just fell into testing. But I, I look back at it now and I feel like it was a very good fall because it's a good mix for me. I feel like um, it's got a lot of business awareness. It's got a lot of technical awareness. Uh, there's a lot of areas that you can grow into and you can just spread. Like um, if you're interested in something to do with, say, for instance, accessibility, then you can join with the UX team and work on that kind of side of things. If you're more interested in doing the automation side of things, then you can uh, learn that from the front-end developers and see how you can actually do the front-end side of things or even with the back-end developers and see how you can get onto headless kind of testing. So there's a lot of um, new areas that you can learn. And I don't feel like a lot of pressure in this job. I feel happy. I feel very content. And it's a lot of new things that I learn. So I, I quite like it. In a, Well, I was going to say in a nutshell, but I said quite a lot. No, that's a fantastic introduction. It's so so refreshing to kind of you know hear that kind of journey coming out of university and and going straight into testing. And um, yeah. yeah, what I really love about that story as well is you know it was quite specific. You know, you were doing business intelligence uh, testing, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, and it feels like it was a wave because you know back in two thousand and twelve, bits business intelligence, BI, and then big data we're kind of really emerging areas and you can see how the kind of the growth happened. And obviously from your uni days, you kind of got this, these foundations, the technical skills, and I guess also the, the idea of the business. Um, but have you found as you grow within your role and, and learn with different clients that you're dealing with, that you're understanding more about the kind of the business side of things and, and, uh, and the importance of kind of what the, that BI, that intelligence is, is all about and, how it powers businesses. Yes. Yeah, so I think I was very, very confused, if I be honest with you, at the very start. I just thought, I don't know what I'm doing. What are these reports used for? Who's going to use it? So when they said that 
there's this particular client um, and they're going to use it for certain things to boost their um, business knowledge and to get a better idea of how their business is uh, doing. So then I was like, I see, fair enough. But then um, it was still like a major area for me because it was my first ever role there. And then obviously I went into my second job, which was more on the analytics side of things. So it was more hands-on rather than more analysis. So um I think um, if you're like in an agile team, I've definitely understood more. I think in my first role, I was in a waterfall team. So it was very difficult to understand what am I doing until the very last minute when you're testing it. So I quite enjoy where I get better feedback loops like in agile Um there's a lot of uh, planning sessions, grooming sessions. They share a lot of knowledge with you beforehand um, uh, before they actually build the features. So, yeah, you learn quite a bit. And as I said earlier, it's a good balance, business uh, skills and te uh, te uh, technical skills. So I quite enjoy that. I, I didn't want to be fully technical only. So I, I, I think that's how I looked at it. But definitely at the very start, I was very confused. What am I really doing? But slowly, slowly understood how this could be useful to a major company that I was working for back then. Yeah, and it's, it's the great thing about that kind of exposure that you've got now with a, a large um, organization that gives you kind of the big projects, the small projects, you know, every size project. Um, and it's it's really interesting what you just said because um you know part of the QA lead we've been looking at setting up the community side of things and we've been toying with ideas of of what that community would look like and um I was sat down with with Paul Gerard and 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 Giles Lindsay the other day and we we kind of came up with this concept about um oh you've got the pocketbook the testers pocketbook yeah. that's uh, <laughs> that's fantastic so it, you know Paul loves that one and we we one of the ones we followed up which uh, is the business story pocketbook which is um which again is is that, that harmonizes both of those um kind of topics what you talked about is that you know you come in with a testing context for, and you know you're understanding the that the, the importance of testing and like you said you know being the back end of the the v model and then you come into doing something which is more agile, which is kind of where the business story pocketbook came in with this idea of, you know, a lot more upfront, a lot more information, a lot more visibility about what it is that you're building, the importance and business value to the organization. And mm -hmm. you know, I think that's fantastic. And, and so one of yeah. the things we've been kind of saying was, you know, when you start off your career, you know, mm -hmm. if there is a disconnect between maybe what you come in and do as an analyst role to what maybe the leadership team are doing. And then maybe even above that, as far as maybe the C-suite, what the, 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 CS, uh, the C, uh, CEO or CIO is trying to kind of manage on a day-to-day -day basis. And you, you understand there's different challenges and you understand there's a goal or a, you know, a, um, um, a, a, th a vision for the organization, but linking them to your day-to-day -day tasks and your small teams is really hard. And, you know, part of aspiring and growing like you've grown in your role and become a senior consultant, you know, mm -hmm. part of it is you're starting to connect the dots between, you know, maybe what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and, and what that means for the business, that you're actually enabling that capability. And, you know, I think that's a really fascinating um, story, what you're talking about, because what you've done is you've You've, you've harmonized both of those in understanding the importance of business and understanding the importance of what you're doing and from a testing domain. And I think that 
opens up this kind of leadership uh kind of role and i, I know leadership seems to be a, a bit of a fuzzy one with a you know across the organization and but you know part of that leadership really what we're talking about is is understanding the business is bridging that gap between business and and those activities uh that you know we, we do on a day-to-day basis and the importance of like when we started chatting about you know a release going out well what, what does that mean what does that mean for the business you know, yes. we, we all understand revenue. We all understand that kind of thing. But that's not really what that's the, the company's about. The company's about providing some kind of product. And that product then touches users, right? It touches end customers that get to enjoy those features, what you release. And the importance of that is, you know, is completely different. You know, it might be different yes. to what the business is looking at. Um, mm-hmm. You know, do you find that, and I like what you said when you said about, you know, you can go and you talk to the UX team and you can look at the importance mm. of the user experience. Uh, you know, you can go off and understand the value of doing these other activities. You know, are you starting to see that as a kind of a, a senior consultant, that like you're, you're understanding the wider landscape of testing and not just at a micro level and the value above? I know when we, we first met, we were on a, a panel discussion about yeah. why to automate. Uh, but, yeah. you know, again, that is, you know, it wasn't really about why to automate. It's the, what's the benefit of the value of doing an activity, whether that be automation, like you mm-hmm. said, accessibility testing or another phase of test type of uh, approach of testing. So, you know, is that something you can you start to join the dots with and you can kind of start understanding where those grassroots came from? Yes, exactly. 100%. Because I feel like... Um the more you uh, collaborate with other teams, the more you share your knowledge and listen to their knowledge as well. You're, bri- you're building that relationship. And when it comes to testing, you understand things better as well. So I definitely would suggest collaborate a lot, pair up a lot and learn from that because it's giving you a better idea of what's coming up and how you can actually help approach that and add value to it. Because at the end of the day, it's not just our um, responsibility to look at quality. We should involve everyone and everyone in our team. So um, the thing is just talking to a wider team, even with the ops people or just sharing some QA eminence outside your testing team just helps you broaden up your mindset and get better value. If there's something that you've probably showcased in your team and you're sharing it with another team, then it might be something helpful to them or just going to another meeting in another team with another different QA. Maybe they've shared a nugget of information that could be useful to you when testing. So definitely, I think um, just going around to different teams and speaking to them about what you think quality is and where you think the quality of this product is going is vital and Sometimes it feels like QA or testing teams love to walk, like like take two steps ahead um, than they can. And then we get pushed back. So I feel like at that point, we shouldn't feel demotivated. I think the priorities are different at that point. But at least you've put the seed in there. At least someone must have heard about it. So you let the plant grow whenever it comes, like whenever it grows. So um it's super important. Like even sometimes it's so difficult to um, bring a new kind of testing, whether it's functional or non-functional and get it signed off. So just trying to bring it in, in a, in a different way, like maybe just on a stand up, make people think about it or 
even presented to the team it, it just helps so definitely wherever you can add value where whoever you can speak to it doesn't have to be your only team members you can speak to other people as well do so definitely agree with that the more we talk the the better knowledge we get no no i i, I love that and i love the the, the premise of the, this being a quality ambassador right you know and and talking to people outside of your team uh, other people um that and i think you know part of these new times is you know you don't always have that accessibility right and you don't have that chance to you know maybe you were you know it's a team building exercise or you're you're doing something that's you know falls outside where the rest of the business it's involved in is you know how does that communication how does that like you said that that's that idea that then seeds and grows become something that's wider and you know back to this kind of this idea of of understanding the relationship between the, you know uh, what 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 it actually means what we're doing uh, and the premise behind that um i think it's really fascinating because you know if you went and took your message to quality and like you said quality is everyone's responsibility if you sat down and had a conversation with somebody at, from the business whoever they are um you know part of it is explaining them some of the fundamentals like you mentioned about the difference between functional and non-functional they may not understand that they may not have the background in it but they may understand the importance of security, you know, security testing or accessibility, you know, based on the type of users that they're wanting to to be able to interact with and, and the importance of, of being able to use that or the importance of cross-browser or cross-device testing. You know, part of it is they can understand the value of that, but, you know, part of it is sometimes they may don't may not have that visibility. And that's what I find really fascinating about your kind of journey there is this, this business intelligence is, you know, originally, you know, cascading KPIs were something that were a value which some meant something to somebody, right? So, you know, if you had 15 defects, you know, is that good? Is that bad? You run a hundred tests. Does that mean is it good or is it bad? You, you, there's, there's no right answer. And mm -hmm. by cascading those numbers up, you know, if I was um, a, 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 a chief financial officer, if I'm looking at it going, well, yeah, we're, we're finding less bugs, so it's costing us less money and we're doing it with less staff. That seems like it's a really good outcome. But in actual fact, maybe that's yeah. the conversation to say, we're not finding any issues. We're not adding the value. We'd like to, you know, look at doing more exploratory or we're looking to invest in automation or we're wanting to, um, you know, expand our reach of what we do. Um, and I think, you know, that's a really interesting point because it's not, that conversation never happens. The numbers kind of tell a story of themselves and, and, and part of those milestones, which are kind of synthetically being generated of let's, you know, product increment X must be released by day Y. And that may be, you know, marketing driven, but how these all the quadrants come together. And I think this is what we were kind of saying is that this kind of three amigos aspect of, of just, you know, developer, um, you know, call it a BA for a second uh, and, and test there is maybe that has to expand. Maybe, you know, it's actually more important that we have, like you said, business and opera operations in there. And, you know, part of it is we're expanding those, those amigos that they're not just, um, you know, the three same static or in, from the same group or the same, you know, back background. You know, part of it is we need that rotation and, and, and like innovation has to happen you know part of it is it needs to be organic it, it's not something that can be forced it can't be put these people together 
in a big room planning once a year, uh, once a product increment or, you know, every quarter. It, it can't be forced. It needs to be organic. And I, and I really like that messaging that you've got there is it's kind of taking the time to, to put the right, to start the right seeds and understand where you can grow quality. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really valuable for your customers. And I know you've done some really exciting projects, one of them being, um, you know, uh, for the TFL, for the Transport London project. You know, did you find when you were on that journey, what kind of, you know, ch- different challenges or, you know, what was what was it working for, uh, you know, a transportation landscape must be very different to what you're doing, say, today? Yeah, it was very different. I think that's where I learned about, automation testing which was a complete new world for me and I was like a bit horrified for a second because I was like oh dear do I have to code because I used to always run away from coding and I was like oh dear no it's calling me back (laughs) so I just I think I took it as a challenge because I was like the more I'm gonna be not willing to do it the more it's gonna come to me so I was like let's just put my head down and get on with it. And that's where they were, um, for them, automation was super important. So I did start there as a manual tester, but uh, within two, three months, um, we had to just completely scrap manual and focus on automation. So um, I think it was a very different journey. It was um, the agile world as well for me. So from waterfall to agile, it was a very, very different uh, place for me. I quite enjoyed it. Um, there was more involvement from the very start of um, features coming in. And definitely the aspect of adding automation helped me learn a new area of testing. And I think I was working with really um, interesting testers as well. So there was a lot to learn from my seniors. So, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed that aspect. I learned a new code, coding language, uh, C Sharp back then. And we were doing a BDD style tests, so they were quite easy to understand as well. So it felt very rewarding. I felt proud of myself that, oh, I've coded something for once. <laughs> so it was really nice. But as I said in the panel session as well, does automation always provide value? Do we really need it? And if we do need it, then where should we add it? And maybe in the high risk areas, for example, or do we really, the thing is, we can't automate everything. What about the look and the feel? What about the psychology side of thing of the user? So that was an aspect which obviously um, I left after a few months of automation, but they obviously, I don't know if they looked into that, but that would have been uh, super interesting for me to find out if, if they looked into that side of aspect or not, or if they went, if they shifted a bit left or they stayed on the right. So. I think I had a, a nice experience there. It was something different and lots, loads to learn from. And yeah, that, that's where I thought that, yeah, testing is really interesting. I, I want to open up. I want to spread more so that I never feel annoyed or like afraid of coding. So I've, I'm quite open now and I miss it now, actually. No, no. And I, and I think what's, what's lovely about the TFL story is, is, is that you get to see the direct impact, right? You, you understand what they do, right? They run the tube system, right? It's, it's, it's kind of, it's there and you can directly see, well, I made an impact, you know, whether that be just an API that, um, another traffic management tool can 
connect in to say well is is the tube okay or you know what's the best route to get to a to b or something like that um but it's bigger than that in the sense of exactly what you said it's about safety as well you know it's it's such an interesting uh, area transportation that you know you and it kind of goes into your kind of your modeling side of things i remember working with the for tfl uh, probably similar similar time to what you were doing and we we were modeling out the underground uh as a proof of concept around looking at the the air ducts of how they blowed air into it. So we visualized it um, so that we could understand the flows of flow of air and, and how it all connected. And it came into this 3D model kind of landscape. And again, we were trying to prove a hypothesis. We were trying to prove that if we did this, the idea is to avoid or predict, um, you know, issues that are going to happen on the line and, and avoid them. Um, and again, you've got that kind of cause and effect, but you've also got that kind of, well, the, the 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 what we're trying to solve from the hypothesis point of view is you know this is the goal right this is the goal of implementing said system and said system typically is an it based solution it's not a human solution um even though humans are involved in the process right and, and i find that fascinating because you know your what you talked about on uh, the test con session which was brilliant was about testing a data science model and kind of you know your journey of when you kind of started this out and you know what you kind of thought about and ha- how you applied those models and it'd be fascinating for the listeners to kind of under, especially as it's such a hot topic to understand you know how you got involved with that side of things um so Obviously, I had no idea that I was going to go in, in a data science project. I, I, I just had heard that there's data science, AI, ML, but I only always used to think, oh, this is such an interesting area, but I don't know if I'll ever get involved. And next thing you see is you're in it. So, <laughs> so basically, um, it was really interesting because I've come with different backgrounds. So working for a consultancy, then a boutique consultancy where I managed to work with a bank and then um, with TFL. So the complete different industries. And now this is a complete different industry as well. So I just thought um, it's it's a good area. I think more testers need to be involved here, actually, because the more I ask uh, testers around, they say that they've heard about it, but they're not directly involved. So Shout out to all the testers out there. Please be involved. We definitely need more insight here. But um, I found it quite interesting because it was very maths t- style, um, not project, but a lot of maths going in here due to the algorithms. So again, I was thinking to myself, will I have to do all of these um, calculations and just getting a bit worried there? <laughs> but you don't have to be a math pro here. Um as long as you're pairing up with a data scientist, trying to understand what has this algorithm achieved and how is it um, providing value to the customer. So that was the most important part. So what I tried to do is I was thinking more from the business side and then from the technical point of view and seeing if I'm testing accurately enough or not. So if I were the user, would I understand this config or would I not understand this configuration? So that was that. And then there's a lot of data obviously involved here. So I learned around anonymizing data sets as well, because previously I had worked with golden data sets, which were ready made. So you just had to make sure they flow. But here we anonymize data. And I 100% agree with that. Keep your client's data secure. And that's the way forward. And yeah, I think 
Um, data science is super interesting. I would definitely suggest to research a little bit around that and just understand um, what it's actually doing. So I think for some data, data science models are there to predict. Some are there to give you ideas of what the future could look like or not, depending on the data you're pushing through the model. So it's super, super important to understand uh, what business value this is providing. And don't just um, look into the technical side of things. Also look, if you've got a front end built to it, also look at it from the user's perspective of when they are using this, how would they use it? Are they going to find it very complex or are they going to find it easy to use? So put both hats on the technical and the uh, non-technical one here. Oh, I, th I think that's great. And, you know, it's, it's uh, like you said, with the big shout out for, uh, it's interesting because I kind of, I know when we talked, we, uh, you know, part of this avoidance of kind of this uh, uh, test data engineering in, in test kind of landscape of, and the avoidance of that similar kind of issue we, we had with software developer and test. Um, you know, I, I love data engineering. It's, you know, I, I, I think I always talk about data engineering over, over data science in the sense of understanding the data and, and, you know, kind of what Paul and everybody we've been kind of getting to is that data is everything, right? The test data is, is kind of maybe the, the last frontier of, of the most important uh, aspects of, of everything that we do in the in this industry is is around data and understanding the knowledge what's associated with that and i think it's one of the 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 least explored areas you know the, the you know coming from a tdm um company uh oxford startup which was a you know maths based heavily maths applied maths physics from oxbridge you know guys trying to understand just the sheer complexity around how you do the synthetic generation or ob obfuscation or you know going through these one of many different approaches to get the right type of data quality um is is it hugely complex but i think it's hugely you know um uh, important as well if not the most important thing uh, and especially around modeling as well which again is is difficult because not all testers or models you know it, it's 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 a really difficult challenge and actually i sent to the guys today um the, the, I'm working on, I'm part of the ISO committee for the, the new standard part six of the yeah. uh, model based testing. Um, and, and so I kind of, you know, shout out to people like, uh, Dick Bender or Richard Bender for who, all his work on model based testing and then the rest of the guys who are going to contribute to the standard. Um, you know, it's so important, but, you know, part of, of, of moving towards this is, is that we've, we've got this new challenge, right? And I think you pointed it out with kind of the AI and ML revolution. And, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned, so I was on a call with Jason and, uh, Tarek from, um, from test.ai. And, you know, we we're having that same kind of conversation, which was exactly what you said is, you know, how do you understand, um, the, the you know what the outcome should be and and this was this kind of is it a testable state and i think this is absolutely fasc fascinating in the sense of you know if you can't if it can't be explained it can't be explainable ai if it can't be explained then in theory it can't be tested in in, in its essence right um and this week i was listening to wozniak who was did a keynote for uh, a dynatrace go and uh, it's really interesting to hear his viewpoint uh, from Apple and being obviously a founder. Um, mm -hmm. And he was kind of saying about how 
we'd come to kind of rely on AI um, and his viewpoint, because he's, he's very much in the pro camp of, of AI. And okay. he was kind of saying that, uh, you know, Apple have a capable, uh, an internal team that will go through and have interview, kind of interview the developers who have created these models and say, mm-hmm. can you explain that to me? And, and if they can't explain it to somebody who's, non-IT, non-AI you know, AI background of how it works, then as far as they're concerned, they don't actually class it as a, as a feature or a capability because it's not mm-hmm. explainable. Um, yeah. And he, he was kind of coming at the point of saying, well, you know, we've kind of gone too far, like you kind of mentioned with the kind of the eth- ethical side of things, but also this, what is the end emotional state which you're expecting from somebody is we've kind of gone too far down down this rabbit hole now and what the internet was um you know and if, if you've watched the social dilemma on 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 netflix you know yeah. from that kind of the the you know building on the great hack and obviously the data what leak what happened last week with the election data from 2016 uh, mm-hmm. and the ai machine learning used from cambridge analytica to and the 10,000 reference points that it had yeah. from each one of those voters and then of course you know politically exposed people it's the same kind of thing in the sense of you know the internet's kind of gone down a bit too far and it's now got quite a lot of negative teams and i know jason had mentioned that what they used to have at, at google was the anti evil team which actually got decommissioned in the end and it then kind of came to this kind of conclusion that recently is you know at what point do you become a kind of a whistleblower in your own organization mm-hmm. which you know is 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 kind of going the opposite way is you know at what point is it your responsibility to kind of say, I, I shouldn't be using production data or I, I shouldn't be using this data set to train this algorithm because it's got a, a, a bias against it because I've synthetically generated it. And therefore the bias is towards my understanding of the subject matter area, not the true representation of uh, and diversity of what the data should represent. And so suddenly, yes, there's this ethical transparency and, a difficult challenge around bias, which we've we've had for many years now. But actually, now it's getting you know with what what Wozniak was kind of saying is actually, you know, the primary objective of something is that it ha- makes the end it makes it easier for the human, right? It makes it easier for that reaction to be positive. Now, the yeah. amount of times that you interact with your virtual personal assistant and it doesn't give you the response that you're expecting, and some of those tasks are actually really straightforward. And what Walt mm-hmm. was kind of saying is that before Siri became Siri now, you know, those standard things like call mum or, you know, ring my friend or, you know, what time yeah. is it? We're all coded into the, the to the phone, right? So they weren't going mm-hmm. off to some, you know, natural language processor and, and understanding the, the, the context and then coming back and saying, okay, now I can tell you the time. And that round trip being, you know, three and a half seconds with this big dramatic pause between each kind of VP. Yeah. It was a straightaway response of, I understand you. I understand your phone. I've trained against your language. I can answer this very quickly. And therefore, maybe I should be pushing the AI tasks to things that are more complex. And maybe there is an easier way to, to do it without through automation or intelligent automation that isn't necessary an AI for everything. And I think this is where we're suddenly going is that with the trend is that there is a lot of power, but we've like big data, like BI, when you started your kind of career, you know, the failure to big data was, well, nobody had the questions that they wanted to find out from 
the data, which was the new oil, they didn't really know what it was that they needed to ask. Now we've got data scientists who are discovering anomalies in the data and saying, actually, this could mean X, Y. Mm-hmm. But again, we've not still got the right questions. And I think that's that's what you're kind of saying. And I think it's maybe the most important statement for for this century is, you know, when do we, you know, what kind of people should be in quality and in testing that will ask those questions, that will ask the hard questions of what does this mean? Should we be doing this in the first place? You know, is this the right use of technology? Is this humane? You know, is this the right thing to be doing? Not from a bottom line revenue generation perspective, but ethically. And I think this is suddenly meaning that the QA and the testers responsibility has gone from something which is maybe measurable and something that we can understand to potentially social responsibility and, you know, what that means to the end end customer. So, you know, do you feel that this is, and it might, it sounds a bit profound, but, you know, do you think this is what the future of QA and testing is, is to ask the hard questions and be responsible to, to, to ask why, you know, why, why should this work in this particular way? And, and what's the, the value to the person who's using it at the end? Yes, exactly. I think um, questions are super important. Ask as many as you want. Be the annoying person in the room. It doesn't matter. Um, the more you ask, the more you get. So there's no harm in asking because you won't get if you don't ask. So definitely go for that. And then um, there's always, um, I've seen teams do the five whys. So if they don't, they ask the why first, they get an answer, then they ask a few more whys, and then they get the to the bottom line of it. So definitely the five why session would be really good. This could be like with anything, like I don't know um, if there was a production issue that happened, go through the five whys. Why did it happen? Uh, why didn't we look at the, this before? Uh, what did like what kind of things we missed? How can we build up the dots and make sure we improve next time? So try and uh, become like um, the, what shall I call it? The detective in, in this kind of team, right? Try and understand what's happening and ask a lot because Again, it's adding value, your questions. It's making people think. It's making, maybe some people are shy to ask. Maybe you're asking other people's questions and helping them understand. So um, ask a lot. That I would definitely suggest that. No, I, I think that's brilliant. And and again, it, it resonates with, with something Tarek said, actually, was, you know, uh, and, and this final frontier of, of what testing looks like was, mm-hmm. and part of his vision was saying that actually tests shouldn't exist in the on the left hand side in the testing uh, traditional testing landscape it should happen in the on the right hand side so the shift right what i talk a lot about is well exactly what you said is an issue happens in production why did it happen in production you know how could it have been prevented and yes we understand the value of doing retrospectives and stuff within sprint against develop developing products but what about operational products that sit there and you know to part of what Tarek was kind of saying is that tests should be built in to the 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 living product so it's testing itself as it makes those decisions as it executes right is it kind of says you know there's that the idea or the concept around self-healing is it understands that there's a state it could potentially be in a position where it's going wrong so it falls back into a last known um good configuration or it falls back to a previous build which it understands and it might even do that on a 
on a AB perspective of, of a smaller subset of users that are experiencing it. And it could be related to device. It could be related to region. It could be related to, um, you know, a particular type of account state. But each one of those kind of dimensions is, you know, is, is a testable state, which happen, happens in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you know, this is a really interesting idea of, you know, is is one of the big areas that we've missed is this kind of concept of, yes, we've got synthetic tests and they're running happy path scenarios to see if APIs are up in the real world. And these landscape of APM tools and 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 the next generation of intelligent operations or AI ops tools have got this huge amount of multi-dimensional transactional data, which we could use to do the root cause analysis, pinpoint failure in real time, or even preventative so the systems don't go down because we've got, like you said, a QA inspector who, or detective who's actually going in there and maintaining that from a kind of a chaos engineering, but somebody who's yeah. actually solving yeah. it in the real world. Yeah, safety net. Mm. Yeah. So, so I think we've invented, or you've probably invented this new kind of uh, QA role, which is, uh, you know, in in which is professor or a detective in that landscape and they're doing the forensic um you know uh, data analysis of what's going wrong with the issues and systems and they're making decisions on how to prevent or even uh, avoid those situations and i think this is a really interesting landscape because i think we do put so much pressure on the sdlc as the end you know the the start and the end of everything and that there's very little uh, focus being taken operationally and 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 i think you know the software isn't alive but it it has a root or it it, until it gets a new release it's it has to live out its journey of usefulness and as you're doing that you know there's 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 ways you can you can help provide a better experience uh, or even understand the experience that people are having. Yeah. And, and, you know, the TFL is a great example because you can understand, you know, people are happy that they're, they're not stuck waiting for uh, the next tube, which is 40 minutes late because your system sorted out the light, uh, the, 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 um, the correct signals. I don't know how the signals yeah. go down so many times. I think that's actually <laughs> for something else, but you know, yeah. part of it is, is there is a, there's a whole ecosystem and, you know, I love I love the the TFL like so, so example because you know I I use CityMapper a lot and you know part of that is the you know it's it's sensitive to its context so it understands it's the weather's bad so it yes. suggests a weather safe route through your yes, tube system right it yeah. also would say you know oh don't get on here because there's a good chance that this is going to be crowded or enter you know exit here or enter uh, mm-hmm. there you know part of it is all this is starting to help humans navigate right as, as a basic oh. functionality and yes. i think that is that what wozniak was kind of saying is that from a pure perspective what is it that we're doing for humans mm-hmm. right but also one of the things he said which i thought was really interesting was this concept of offline and i think you know partly is, as a connected landscape we're so reliant on connectivity and that mm-hmm. actually apps shouldn't need connectivities they should be able to still make decisions they should still be smart in a non-connected state. And I think this is where we're start, we should be thinking about states of connectivity mm-hmm. and how we deal with testing those because as soon as you get on the tube, there is no signal. Or, yes, there's Wi-Fi calling now, but yeah. you know, before there was no signal. So you know, the data 
it, you know, the, the change of states affects the data or the functionality or the capability within apps. And so many apps just don't work as if you, it can't find an internet connectivity. And I think we've got to move past this. And the same thing is there's not, we need to do our, our solution isn't building another app. It's like the TFL's view of it's got to be open. Developers can build on top of it. We'll interrupt. We'll, we'll just make it as part of your experience, whether that be your watch, whether that be the new Google glasses that coming out, you know, part of it should be, you shouldn't need a apps to talk to each other. You should just, you know, leverage data, right? The data of knowledge of of systems and solutions and how they interact with each other. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. That, that sounds really, really interesting. And when you mentioned the Wi-Fi, I forgot, I forgot to tell you, Ellie, I tested the Wi-Fi system in the undergrounds. <laughs> it was really exciting time because I used to turn on my Wi-Fi from all the tube stations I had to get to work from. So, um, I used to then go back to my, my computer and be like, let me check if it picked the right, uh, tube stations and let me see if I can see where I was sitting in the tube as well. Cause it was picking up, um, wh- which carriage you're sitting on as well. So I think that was super, super interesting. And I feel really happy whenever I see the Wi-Fi systems underground. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it is amazing. It, it, it's really funny because, um, when we did the smart city project in Copenhagen, we, we did something yeah. similar with a GPX logger. We we're logging all the GPX stuff, but the only way we could get that was by them connecting to network and, and part of that kind of basic understanding of handshaking connectivity. Yeah. And, and the actually the worst place in Copenhagen for, for Wi-Fi was the free internet from the airport. And it's because you got on the train and it was all free, but the connection was low. And obviously it's going through a lot of tunnels. So therefore, yeah. You and people were getting so much packet loss and, and, you know, it was just such a bad experience. But, you know, part of it is that's, it's like getting on a train, on a plane now. You, you connect to the Wi Fi, but you automatically assume that because you're 10,000, you know, miles up in the sky that your connectivity is going to be slow, which of course it is. Whereas when you get on a tube, you don't expect any Wi Fi connection and therefore you're pleasantly surprised by the concept of Wi Fi, right? Um, And it, then it's really interesting because I, I did something similar for Gatwick and some of the other big airports that they 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 have the same challenge in Wi-Fi. There's so many people connecting to the free Wi-Fi that then people go, oh, it's really slow, this Wi-Fi. But, you know, part of it is they've got a broader spectrum. You know, there's more devices, there's more concurrency, mm-hmm. and therefore it's a lot more challenges. And also they have to support so many more devices because there's all these variations of different language variations that they've got to support. So therefore the service is fairly narrow and it's such a challenge because we take for granted things like Wi-Fi. It becomes a basic necessity and therefore, you know, and I have tried to do Wi-Fi calling on the tube and it has worked, but I do assume that when I'm moving that it isn't going to be able to jump between the Wi-Fi location. So I'm going to lose signal. Right. But, you know, I think we're getting to that reliance where, so much connectivity you know we need to maybe think about how well what what is important what is you know what should the connected state be what isn't necessary and you know i always kind of say the same example of you know if you want to go and buy some some clothes and you or tomorrow's amazon uh prime day right so you know you go on you go down to the tube you lose connectivity but you still can continue your order right you can it knows where you live it knows your balance in your account it knows how much stock items were in the actual 
um, you know, before you went down. So it's kind of got an estimate of whether or not it's going to be sold out at the rate it's doing by the time yeah. that it can handshake and approve the, the process on the other yeah. end. Why shouldn't you be able to buy that purchase? And and we know if you load up Amazon and you lose connectivity, that's you get a little picture of an unhappy dog and it kind yeah. of says, you know, you, your connectivity's gone, right? But, yeah. you know, we don't build apps to to be able to deal with, you know, things like that, predicting, yeah. you know, the kind of stock, predicting that it can make that com- that simple transaction. And I think this is the next generation. And it's, it's more than just buying stuff. It's, it's more about how we live our lives and yeah. how we're now reliant. You know, we're reliant now on Internet connectivity to do remote working. What happens when that goes down? You know, how do you still work? How do you still connect to people? You know, I think it's a journey, basically. Absolutely. And it's, I think we're, we're, we're touching onto that kind of, well, what does the future look like? What does Mm -hmm. the future look like for a, for a tester who's joining in the same way that you were joining? Um, Uh so, you know, as far as your kind of journey, and obviously you've, I know you've done lots of different, um, different things, but you know, what kind of resources have you found really useful or what kind of, you know, um, you know, places have you gone to get more information or find out more about, you know, testing or agile or any of the methodologies you've been learning, like C Sharp or? Yeah, um, I think online courses were quite handy, um, whether that's on YouTube or Udemy. Um, then obviously you've got Apply Tools, which I found quite useful to do some Cypress style tests. Um, then obviously uh, Ministry of Test- Testing has a lot of um, uh, information and really, really good details and there might be people who are going through similar situations as you, so you can connect and socialize more there. And then um, just on the team, actually, it, it's like a challenge, isn't it? Because if you don't know something, you you panic a little, but it's, it's like a challenge. Look at it positively because you're going to end up learning something new out of it. So push push for it. And like, for example, um, if I want to be involved in something, I just go and nudge that individual in that team and tell them like I'm interested in this kind of area um if you ever have time I'd like to shadow you or just pair up with you and see how I could help so I did quite a lot of that and then just reading up blogs even writing blogs so um I think um you can get a lot of information out there it's it's just like what you're looking for and if it's worth learning it on the team or maybe just doing a little bit of research off the team yeah i know and and i know james whitaker always says you know make it uh, fake it before you make it and you know he (laughs) kind of i think he was trying to say there's a balance between it right there's a balance between i'll go and do some basic house uh you know some background stuff and understand the absolute basics then go up to somebody who i know i've targeted because they're the right person to speak to and say i'd love to learn more about this and i think I think that bravery, what you're kind of saying there about being brave and just going to somebody who said, I'd love to learn more about this, um, mm-hmm. I think is maybe something that holds us back. I think, you know, we, we, we have this tendency to kind of go off and yeah. try and learn it ourselves, right? Go to Udemy, kind of do a course, you know, mm-hmm. kind of fake it before you make it, mm-hmm. learn some absolute fundamentals and then just kind of learn the rest as we go along. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think the bravery model of kind of going to somebody and saying, I know a little bit and my little bit is I know some foundations because I don't want to waste your time but I really want to understand how data science works or yeah. how you know uh, you do the software pipeline or what mm-hmm. you know these different tools do and I think that is a you know 
a new way of, you know, interacting with people above the scheduled standard meetings that you have with the team is actually yeah. you should be able to have this time. And I know I saw teams have got this new feature, which does something similar where it kind of reaches out and says, uh, you know, oh, let's have some one-to-one time with, you know, a peer or a mentor mm-hmm. or somebody that you can, you can schedule some repeating time to have that kind of, um, part, you know, that, you know, uh, conversation yes. and, and build on 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 soft some soft skills as well as some personal development i think that is really important and maybe it's something that has been lost during covid and i think that yeah. bravery aspect of taking a little bit of time you know you know going and asking somebody for a little bit of help and see if they can help you on that journey and i think that peer kind of aspect is 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 i think the way that things are going to go and hopefully yes. you know there'll be a lot of listeners who kind of see the value of what your you've, your experiences have gone and how you the journey that you've taken so, yeah. so for those people who are listening in um you know what's the best way to reach out to you what's the best way to to communicate or you know on linkedin or twitter or your blogs or what what's the best way to get hold of you um i'm on linkedin i'm working on creating my twitter because loads of testers have told me you should have twitter because there's a big testing community there so i'll be there soon um but um you can reach out to me on linkedin and yeah we can have coffee catch-ups whatever whatever i can help you with um i'd be very happy to and yeah i just wanted to point out one more thing um uh, basically, if you pair up with someone, you're sharing your knowledge of what you know, and then you're learning from them. You might even give them some knowledge of what they probably didn't know. So it works hand in hand. So yeah, definitely go for those kind of uh, pairing sessions. It's like a, a digital bartering system. You kind of go, well, actually, you can t- teach me a little bit about how this works, and I'll give you uh, in exchange a little bit of overview on you know yeah. some soft skills or some creative thinking or some of the cool stuff that you're doing it's it, it's i think that is, is is a really nice way of doing it because everybody wants to, to learn and develop new skills you know and uh, as humans we're very good at doing that interaction but you know we we also don't never have enough time and, and i think this is kind of one of the the echo in the you can't sprint all the time you need that little bit of space for development right and it's it's more important than ever because the pressures of being available 24 7 you know the long connectivity being able to reach out to people in different time zones who all got different things going on in their lives and you know you need to be able to support that because i think it's it's so difficult now and everyone needs that that time to be able to to speak to people and, and learn new stuff and don't lose that human touch so i think it's fantastic uh, suggestions and it's been amazing to have you on and we'll we'll have to get you back um in a <laughs> thanks. Of them. thanks for having me a great platform to be on